Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray your spirit's blessing on us today, Lord. We, we desire to understand your will, to know your will, to live it out, but we want to do it in a way that pleases you. Help us as we wrestle with those kinds of questions. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to build a little bit on last Sabbath. We're continuing with our slow walk in the book of Luke, and I want to continue to build a little bit on what we did last Sabbath related to Sabbath and behavior and what's okay and what's not okay. So in order to do that, let's do a quick review of what we talked about last Sabbath. Last Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. The disciples are picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, eating the grains. And the Pharisees say, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And it is at that point, if you'll recall, Jesus uses a very strange story to engage this discussion on Sabbath rules. But if you were paying attention last week, you'll remember that in truth, it wasn't a discussion about rules at all. Jesus didn't go there at all. Instead, Jesus turned it into a discussion on being hungry. Because the disciples were hungry, they were having grain. And he used that story of David, the time he was hungry and he received the consecrated bread. The only commonalities in those stories is someone was hungry and a rule was broken in order to feed them. The conclusion was simple. If someone is hungry and you have a way to meet that need, do it. If someone's hungry and you have a way to meet the need, do it. Now, of course, every situation has context. Every situation has circumstances that apply. But the general rule holds. Don't use the excuse of Sabbath rules to break more important principles. And really, that goes for all the holiness rules. Or, or let's even take it a step further. It really goes for rules in general. You see, rules are made for humans, not humans for rules. We should never allow rules to become the cause of suffering. Now, I'm not talking about anarchy here. I'm not saying we just throw everything out because then we just have madness. We need some agreed upon stipulations. For example, we start the worship service at 9.30, not some random time. Well, why do we do that? So that you know when to show up. That's why we do that. I guess you could call it a rule. But it's funny what happens with rules. The rule used to be, if you're old enough to remember, what time did church start? 11 o'clock. And in fact, we got so used to it, what did we start to call 11 o'clock? The divine hour. You see how we do that? You see what we do with rules? Somebody started church at 11 because it made sense, and we did it long enough that it finally became the divine hour. And when you suggested changing the time, what, you're going to have church at the non-divine hour? You see how we do that? And for us, if we're not careful, 
you know, if we did this long enough, 20 years from now, our kids would be calling 9.30 the divine half hour or something like that. I don't know. But, but that's how it happens. And these rules, we, we pile them on ourselves. We need them in order to know when to show up. But there's nothing sacred about 9.30. It's just that it works really well for us. And if the point comes where 9.30 no longer works really well for us, guess what we need to do? Change it. But that's hard. That's hard to do when you get used to it. But while we do need order, and to that extent we need rules, human need and human conditions matter more than rules. And regarding Sabbath... We need to have some guidelines, at least in our own lives, or else we totally lose the benefit that Sabbath is supposed to be, and it becomes like just any other day. But if what our guidelines that we've established for ourselves are allowing suffering to continue in order to keep our Sabbath rules, that's not what Sabbath is about. The children's story did a really good job of illustrating that today. And all of this brings us to our story for today, Luke chapter 6. If you want to read along, I'll primarily be in Luke. We're going to jump out a couple times. But Luke chapter 6, if you want to grab one of those Bibles in front of you, I've got that same translation here. Luke 6, beginning in verse 6. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Now, if you think about it, and you think about this little series we've been doing, we started in chapter 4, and then we were in 5, and now we're in 6. We've actually come a long ways from where we started in chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 says... And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. This is he returned from the wilderness. He was baptized. He went into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. And then he returns. This is the very beginning of his ministry. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues. He's still doing that. But now notice this last line. Being glorified by all. In those early days, it was really going well. He was showing up at the synagogues, he was teaching, and people were loving his words and loving the things he was doing. But now, we've walked through chapter 4, we walked through chapter 5, now we're in chapter 6, things have begun to change. And it all started in that next story in chapter 4, when Jesus goes to Nazareth, and in his discourse, he suggests things about not overthrowing the Gentiles by force and setting up a kingdom on this world, but rather something else that maybe was even going to include the Gentiles. And it was so distasteful to the hometown crowd that what did they do? They took him to the edge of the cliff to throw him off. We talked about how sometimes that happens in our life when the expectations that we had don't line up with the reality that's taken place and we're tempted to throw Jesus from the cliff because he's not doing what we think he's supposed to do. 
We went on to the next story, and Jesus is commanding demons with power and authority. And on the one hand, people like that, but on the other hand, that's a little disconcerting. Later on, he's commanding fish to swim into a net in the middle of the day. He's calling unlikely people to be his disciples. He's not choosing the, the, the studied ones, the ones that ought to be chosen. He's choosing fishermen. And then in a little bit, he's going to choose a tax collector. He's doing crazy things. He's touching lepers. And instead of becoming unclean, the leper is being cleansed. He's, he's doing things like forgiving sins. The men lower the man down to him who obviously needs healing, but the first thing Jesus says is, your sins are forgiven. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He and his disciples are not being holy like the disciples of John and the Pharisees. They're not fasting at the right times. And now here he is breaking Sabbath rules. So if you, if you track the journey of the leaders of the people, they've gone from interested in Jesus to disappointed with Jesus to offended by Jesus and now to downright hostile against Jesus. And all this in just a little over two chapters. And Jesus knows it. Luke chapter 6 verse 8. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? It's very interesting what Jesus does here. He knows they're looking to accuse him. And he's got some options. Jesus has some options here. Number one, don't even notice, don't heal the man at all. Well, that was an option. Number two, make a point to meet the man later on and heal him when no one is watching. Now, that's not as out of line as it might seem because we do have stories where Jesus takes the man out of town and heals him out of town. So he did choose that kind of thing sometimes. He could, Jesus could also... Heal him without saying anything. You know, that way he maintains plausible deniability. I don't know how he got healed. He was just sitting in church. But that's not what he did. He put the man front and center and then healed him. Jesus chose option four. And he connected option four with a question. And this time... Unlike last time, Jesus does address the rules, not just the need. Now, this particular story appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there are pieces in the Matthew account and the Mark account that I want to grab onto today as we reflect on this story, because each of the Bible writers bring something else to the table here. So if you go to Matthew chapter 12, and you will see how this story reads there. Matthew 12, verse 9. Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So a difference here. 
Now the question is coming from them to Jesus. So that they might accuse him, it was a setup. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how much, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. So when we read it in Matthew's account, it really is a story on the level of human need. And Jesus doesn't engage the rules so much. What he says here is when something or someone is in need on the Sabbath and you come upon them, you help them. But that's just in Matthew's account. In both the accounts in Luke and Mark, Jesus doesn't, it's not recorded that Jesus said these things. Presumably he did, but it's not recorded the same way. Instead, Jesus addresses this issue at the level of their misaligned rules. For you see, Jesus is about to break their Sabbath rule, and they are about to break Jesus' Sabbath rule. Here's how it happens. I'll read you the whole passage from Luke. So we're back in Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 6. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Now verse 11, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, of the three tellings of this story, I think Luke is the most matter-of-fact with it, saying they were angry, and then they discussed what they might do to Jesus without any specifics. But Matthew goes a little further. Matthew 12, verse 14 says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. But it's Luke, I mean, I'm sorry, but it's Mark that actually gives us the most information including access into what Jesus himself was feeling at the time. It's a very dramatic account in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read the whole thing again so you get the sense of it. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to him, is it, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them, now catch these words, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. This is something we don't get very often in the Bible. Something we don't get very often in the accounts about Jesus where we get some attribution of an emotion that was happening within Jesus. Often we just get reporting of what he did. 
But in this particular case, in the book of Mark, we're told that the response, the attitude of the Pharisees made him angry in his heart because of their hardness of heart. Because here was a man who needed healing, but they were so bound to their rules, they would rather the man continue to suffer than Jesus break their Sabbath rules. Verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And now verse 6 adds some more details. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Okay, they're at synagogue. It's Sabbath. Jesus does this. They immediately go out and find the Herodians, the ones, the people that were loyal to Herod, their enemies, and begin to plot against Jesus. What day is it? Still Sabbath, right? Still Sabbath. And it's here that we see what happens to us when we become so wedded to the notion that it's the rules that matter most. But it is also at this point that we see what grieves the heart of Jesus the most. Consider Jesus' question again. Luke 6, verse 9. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or destroy it? You see, it's really not that complicated, is it? You see, in their rule book, it was wrong to do good, but you could go out and plot evil. In Jesus' rule book, it was right to do good and wrong to plot evil. It's really not that complicated. To ask the question is to know the answer if you're actually able to hear the question. Of course, it's lawful to do good on Sabbath. And of course... It's unlawful to do harm on Sabbath, or any day for that matter. And of course, it is lawful to save a life on Sabbath. And it is unlawful to destroy a life on Sabbath or any other day. But when you are set in your determination to see someone destroyed, logic like this impacts you exactly zero, none. You see, Jesus broke the Sabbath rule by working on the Sabbath, and he did it in an intentionally defiant way. You saw that, right? He brought him right to the front. Therefore, as a Sabbath breaker, he must be destroyed. And because of this, no amount of questionable behavior is inappropriate, regardless of whether it is Sabbath or not. That's how the rationale goes. The Pharisees concluded it was not okay to do good on Sabbath, but it was okay to conspire with their enemies on the Sabbath, the ones loyal to Herod, in order to stop Jesus from continuing to do good when he was not supposed to do good. 
Now, it's all very stark when we see it in their context. But do you realize this can happen to us? We can become those people. But how do we keep this from happening to us without us losing all respect for laws or rules? It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't suggest that Sabbath is a non-thing. In fact, he acknowledges there are, should be some rules, for example. For example, first rule, do good if you can. Second rule, don't do harmful things. So if you wanted a quick two rules on Sabbath, you can write those down if they're hard to remember. Do good if you can. Don't do harm. All right? Two rules for Sabbath. But let's try to make that real. The next time you're tempted to talk bad about someone on the Sabbath, bite your tongue. It's a start, right? Because when we talk bad about each other, doesn't that do harm? When we run each other down? The next time you're inclined to undermine someone on the Sabbath, don't do it. Instead, look for chances to do good. Look for chances on the Sabbath to say good things. Look for chances on the Sabbath to build others up. Look for chances on the Sabbath to help someone in need. Look for chances on the Sabbath to live love. I invite the band to come back up. We're going to sing some songs here. And since we're talking about Sabbath, maybe this is the mindset we should have as we consider in our own lives what this day means to us. Maybe this, this could be the start of a framework for Sabbath behavior. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you want to read along with this, go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, especially on Sabbath. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So pause there for a second. When it comes to Sabbath, imitate Jesus, not the Pharisees. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not only is Jesus our righteous example for Sabbath and for everything, he is also worthy of our prayers. If you wanted to add another thing to your list of do's on Sabbath, praising the name of Jesus is one of the primary joys of Sabbath. So we have musicians, we have a congregation, we have a Lord who came and lived and died, rose again, is ever making intercession for us. And we have an opportunity to keep Sabbath by praising the name of Jesus as a people committed to his cause, to his purpose. And in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, still, we know only to Jesus can we look for help. So let's enter into this time of praise. And though we won't literally raise an endless hallelujah, we can at least have it in our hearts. Let's worship Jesus together. 